0: morning. How are we doing, Bridge? Good. Good. Well, it is a joy to be here. Um, I just want to say thank you before I say anything else. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel at the University of Virginia. Every month, your church partners with us, and we are very, very grateful. Um, By God's grace, we are seeing God do things in students' lives in ways that are really, really significant, and you are a part of it. Uh, Because of your faithful giving and uh, being a member of this church. And this church has been a great partner with us. And so it's my joy to be here and to say thank you. Also, youth, have you raised any Speed the Light money uh, this year? Have you? Have you? Okay, all right. That's great. Because i got something to tell you. This week, i got a Speed the Light vehicle! So, uh, I've been... For 22 years, I have not had a speed of life. It's my very first one. And I just want to say thank you for those of you who have given, who've raised money, who've given some of your lawn mowing money or your, you know, you're here. I just want to say thank you. That is a huge deal that you're training your hearts, to care about God's global mission at, while you're in your adolescence and enjoying uh, your seasons in, in, uh, in middle school, high school, wherever you're at. So thank you. Thank you for your generosity. As we were worshiping, I'm going to do something I rarely do. But I had a sense, as we were worshiping, that there's somebody either here or online, I don't know, I didn't see them. But you have a quiet desperation in your heart this morning. And if that is you, I sense the Lord was saying that He sees you. And He is with you. So I just want you to know that. I have no idea who it is, but if you feel a quiet desperation in your heart, the Lord sees you and he is with you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, it is my joy to be able to bring God's word to us this morning. Uh, Before I read the passage, I have a confession that I need to make. I'm an Android user. (laughs) Hey, all right, yeah. For some of you, my street cred went way down just now. He's a what? Oh my goodness, did you hear that? Yes, I'm an Android user. Um, My oldest son, when he turned 13, we got him his first phone, and we bought him the cheapest Samsung we could find, right? Which was a good thing, because within 48 hours, I think it was 24, but within 48 hours for sure, he had broken the screen of it, so that was a good lecture. Anyways... He was so excited about that phone. He's got, a, got, got his own cell phone. And then a year later, he starts saying, ah, man, I really want an iPhone. And, me, and I was like, well, why do you want an iPhone? Well, he started feeling left out. Because, you know, there's many reasons, but because his text bubble was, was green or blue or whatever it is. I don't know. Do you know that iPhone puts you, if you don't have an iPhone, they put your text bubble a different color to shame you? <laughs> so everyone knows that that was sent from a non-iPhone phone? Like, that's that important. He wanted a different color bubble? Well, not only that, he also wanted to FaceTime his friends. Because I haven't seen the Android FaceTime app yet. Maybe it exists, but I haven't seen it.
1: Yeah, it doesn't exist,
0: I'm fairly confident. Um, also he, he, uh, okay. So when you get on group chats with your friends, iPhone group chats don't play well with non iPhones. And so like you can ruin the group chat. So like, I, I, anyways, I don't need to get in detail about how this works, but it's like, oh, they're kind of happy when that non iPhone gets out of their group chat. Now it works better. How terrible is that? Right. And, and, okay, and, and not only that, his, his friends wanted to send him game pigeons, whatever that is, or something like that, right? And he's like, I, I can't send pigeons, you know, or can't play game pigeons, you know. And so he, he needed, he, he wanted an, an iPhone. Well, so as he graduated middle school for his graduation, graduation present, we went to the graduation Then we took him out for a nice lunch, and then we walked him to the Verizon store. We said, pick out your iPhone. (laughs) Really? Yeah. So he got his iPhone, and now he's a proud owner of an iPhone. He's cool now. And and my wife has an iPhone, and I'm holding out. I'm holding out. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Not giving in to that monopoly and that peer pressure. Okay. Um, Let's be honest. We live in an iPhone world. And there are subtle pressures to make you want to conform to the iPhone world, right? And and the reason why I say this is because this is a bit of a metaphor of of what it feels like at times to follow Jesus, and it's always felt like this. It's felt like this since the, the New Testament church days all the way until our day, that sometimes you feel like an android in the middle of an iPhone world. Anybody with me? All right. This is why I love our passage this morning, because it tells you you're not alone, you're not the first, and it tells you to hold strong. And so, uh, if you will, turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12, and uh, we're going to read it in just a moment, but before we read it, let me share with you a little bit of the of the context of these verses we're going to read. So, in Romans, Paul is laying out the history-making, life-shaping gospel that has was revolutionizing Uh, lives in the world and has for thousands of years now okay so here he's laying it out and it starts with this chapters one through three he's talking about you are all desperate sinners no matter how religious you are no matter how pagan you are you're all sinners and you, you all need a savior and then we're like yeah that's me right yeah we all need a savior and then in chapter four he talks about how we're all saved the same way by faith through grace from jesus that because of his death burial and resurrection that as we place our trust in him we are justified we are are saved not because of what we've done but because what he has done right not because of our goodness but because of his goodness and then he doesn't stop there he starts talking about in chapter six how you are now dead to sin but alive to God because he didn't just justify you he gives you the spirit so you can live a new life so your life can be transformed And it doesn't stop there. Then you're adopted into his family and lavished in his love, love that you can never be separated from, no matter what comes your way, right? Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so he's laying out this beautiful and glorious gospel. And then we come to chapter 12, and it's the hinge of the whole book, of how do we respond to such good, news. Well, that's what we're going to be looking at today in chapter 12, so if you will, will you stand with me as we read these two verses? It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen. You may be seated. Before we get too far into this passage. It says this phrase, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. I'd like to define what Paul means by the world and what the Bible means when it comes up against this term called the world. It's not speaking of like dirt and rocks. It's not speaking of trees and oceans. It's speaking of this realm that the Bible consistently refers to as the world. And here's a a definition that I'm not sure exactly where I got it, but at least part of it's from a book. It's not from me. And then other, I may have added, I don't remember. Okay, so here we go. The world, biblically speaking, is the norms, values, systems of thinking and living that are broadly embraced, but are hostile and opposed to God's will. And influenced by the forces of darkness. Okay, So, the world are the norms, values, and systems of thinking that, and living that are broadly embraced, but are hostile and opposed to God's will and influenced by the forces of darkness. The reason why I put this out there is because the realm of the world is not a neutral reality. It is a hostile reality to God and His kingdom. Okay? And so, when it says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world... That is what it's speaking of, and this is why in John 17, uh, Jesus says this as he prays uh, the, the high priestly prayer. He says this, for they, meaning the disciples, are not of the world. In other words, they're not of that realm any more than I am of that realm of the world, right? Does that make sense? So Jesus says his people have been pulled out of that realm to live in a, a new realm, and then Paul When Paul describes what Jesus did and describes the the, the gospel, here's what he says in in Galatians chapter 1. He says this, Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. In other words, the gospel isn't just about where you go when you die. It's about the realm you live in now. Now. And that Jesus has saved you out of the world, out of the present evil age, and placed you in a new realm, the realm called the kingdom of God, that you would live in his kingdom. That you would be formed and shaped by his kingdom. A kingdom of light. And so what Paul is saying when he says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, he says... You can't have Jesus save you and rescue you out of the world and save you from the world just so you would go back in and be conformed to the world. No. No, 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 no. We are conformed to the image of Christ and his kingdom. Now, here's the problem. Okay, so the world basically wants to form you like like a waffle iron forms a waffle. It wants to press in on you and form the contours of your life. And here's the problem. We are creatures of conformity. We are herding creatures. Um, I mean, this week I was in our office and I was having lunch and in walked one of our staff workers who was way cooler than me. And I looked at him. I, I said, John? Because when I looked at him, go ahead and put the slide up. When I looked at him, oh no, another slide, sorry, sorry, that's a different one. There he is, there he is. I thought I was looking at my stepdad in the 80s. <laughs> I'm like, he is sporting that stash, right? That's, I'm like, that's my stepdad's stash. Where, where'd you get that, you know? And, and not only that, he had the acid wash jean jacket on. I was like, I wore that thing in the 80s. Come on, anybody else get an acid wash jean jacket, Levi? Yeah, you're like, if I had that, I'd be rich right now, right? That nice acid wa- wash. Like, I was like, you know that's acid wash, right? I had jeans that were acid wash. I had a jacket that was acid wash. So that, was, that thing was off the chain back then. Now, okay, so I was like, I was like, wow, this is crazy. I just got taken to the 80s. You got my stepdad's mustache. You got my jean jacket on. And the point is that somewhere... Okay, so 10 years ago at UVA, you hadn't seen that. You hadn't seen somebody wearing a stash in an acid wash jean jacket. But now somebody somewhere says it's cool. So guess what? Let the follicle be free. You know, like it's time to grow the, grow the stash, get the jean jacket. All of a sudden, because somebody in New York or Paris said the, the mustache is back. And everybody's like, okay, mustache is back. It's cool now, right? Because we're creatures of conformity. And he's cool. He's cool. Okay. But not only that, I conform too. Like, let's be honest. I conform to. Um. I, I conform with things I say. I, last year, I had this first time visitor come up to, to me after one of our meetings and she said, yeah, I really love the holy vibes tonight. I'm like, holy vibes? Can vibes be holy? I, 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 didn't, I never heard, I, that was the oddest compliment I'd ever received. I was like, well, thank you. I don't know, I guess. Well, fast forward about three, four months, and I'm talking to my wife, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I really like the vibe there. I'm like, where did that come from? I'm, I, I'm talking about vibes and stuff. Like, I, I, that was never in my vernacular, but because it was around me, pretty soon I'm talking about the vibe of this, so that's got a nice vibe, you know. And, and all of a sudden, I, I, you know, within one year, I used the word vibe more than I did in 10 years, you know, talking about the vibe of, you know, the bridge. It's got a nice vibe, you know. Our vernacular, it changes. Um, do you know that the city you live in determines how fast you walk? Did you know that? I mean, sociologists study this. that Each city has a, a tempo of how fast they walk. Also, I'll say this how they drive, too. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Some of you know the Virginia folk? Yeah. Like... I'm like, where? Well. <laughs> Anyways, I'll leave that one alone. But <laughs> it forms the way you drive, forms how fast you walk. You know, okay, here's the point. If where you live conforms the way you walk, how fast you walk, what else is it forming? If we conform, if the world is conforming our fashion, if it's conforming our vernacular, if it's conforming our our pace of walking, is it gonna stop there? Let me tell you, the world also wants to form your heart. It wants to form what you feel and what you desire. The world wants to conform what you think, what you believe to be true, what you believe is the good life and how to get there. That it's not content just conforming your, your fashion and those things that are on the surface of your life, but it wants to form your heart and your mind. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You cannot let the world Form your heart or your mind, right? John Tyson, um, who's a pastor in New York City, said said, one time I was ruminating on what it must have been like for a believer in Rome to walk from their house to the Roman villa where they would have gone to church. Because they were in house churches in that day. And he said everything they would have walked by just on their way to church. And he said, I thought about them walking past the theater that would people, people would go to in the evenings that would play um, pagan stories that would seek to influence their thinking. And then after they would pass the theater, they would then go to or go past temples to false gods that were that would would have been all around Rome, that they would have walked past them and been made aware of the idolatries that, that were so present in Rome. And then after they passed the temples, then as they would go past the temples, then they would go past a brothel where they would be reminded of the ethics of their day. And the ethics of Rome. And then as they had passed the brothel, they would then go past statues and, and, and all the different propaganda that would have been uh, selling them Pax Romana, that their hope would be in the government there and, and, and Caesar, and where Caesar was hailed as Lord and Savior at every public gathering. And they would be walking past the propaganda of the political ideologies of their day. And he said, and then they would come into church come into the Roman villa and sit down and they would hear the scroll read and Paul would say, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Rome was a formation machine. And they had asked themselves, how is Rome forming me? How is it shaping the contours of my life? Well, can I suggest to us that Rome was a formation machine, and so is our culture. Our culture is a formation machine as well. In fact, our culture is full of stories, but we don't have to go to the live theater. We just have to turn on Netflix or Hulu or go to the theater, and we will get stories that will be inundated with stories of what we should think very subtly but they'll be there and then we don't have to go through a stroll through town we can just pull the phone out of our pocket and we have three or four apps on our phone that would love to teach us the idolatries of our culture that would love to feed us the political ideologies of our day that would love to feed us the ethics of our day, right there on our phone. Guys, it hasn't gotten easier. It's gotten harder. The intensity and the inundation. We don't have to walk through the public realm anymore. We can be inundated by the pattern of this world from the privacy of our own homes. And Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Because... There's a couple things that the pattern of this world will not conform you into, and that is the image of Christ, and that is the way of the cross. The world will never press you into the image of Christ, and never call you to the way of the cross. Hmm. And so the believers in Rome had to ask, how is Rome forming me? And I would submit that we need to ask, how is Our culture forming us. Not just on the macro level, but even on the micro level. How does living in northern Virginia or in Warrington or Bealton or wherever, how is it forming you? You know, Walter Brueggemann was a theologian that uh, wrote this. I have a quote. I'd like to read it. He said this very astutely. The conforming happens subtly, not frontally. We join the dominant ideology with innocence and without noticing. In the congregation are those who do not notice their conformity and thus are incapable of imagining any alternative. We may notice how others have conformed, but we're not so skillful noticing how we ourselves have joined the version of ideology most compatible with our social location and interests. And what he's saying is is this happens very gradually and subtly. It doesn't just happen all at once. And the point is, is this, Paul's saying we cannot synchronize with the culture around us. We just can't do it. Because we are to be God's alternative as members of God's kingdom who live out an alternative that's different. And what if God's alternative looks just like the world? Then what? So how are we transformed? Well, there's a lot of answers that are possible, but I want to focus on one in the brief moments that we have left uh, this morning. I want to focus on one that I believe is key for our transformation, not just our transformation, but our counterformation. Because if if we're if the world is trying to press us into a mold, then what is the counterpressure? And I just want to give you the point. I want to make a few comments, and I'm going to have Sarah and Thomas come share how it's played out in their lives, and I'm going to close it, okay? So here's the the point. The point is this, is we are transformed in community. And the sub-point is this, that God works in our lives by working through his people. That God often works in our lives by working through his people. We are formed in community. Okay, so where is that in the text? Well, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters. In other words, he is saying this to a community. He's not just speaking to individuals. He's speaking to a community. And he's urging them together not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. And then after verse 2, verse 3, all the way through verse 16 The rest of the chapter, basically, is all about what it looks like to live in transformed community. What it looks like to be the community that lives differently. In fact, here's some excerpts from the chapter, just really quickly. It says this, be devoted to one another in love. In other words, Christianity is not a solo sport, but we're to be devoted to one another in love. That's a heavy, strong, fabric word, right? Devoted. And then, honor each other. Have zeal for the Lord. In other words, spur one another on with zeal. Be generous towards each other. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and mourn with those who mourn. Let's be honest, our culture is better at rejoicing with those who mourn and mourning with those who rejoice. But but Paul says, no, we're a different kind of community. And then he says this, and be humble. In other words, associate with people of different standings. It doesn't matter. You're all one in Christ. And then be gracious with each other and be forgiving of each other. And here's the the thing. If we are devoted to a community like that, that honors each other, spurs each other on with zeal, is generous towards each other, rejoices together, mourns together, is humble together, and is gracious and forgiving, wouldn't you say that that would have a transforming impact on our lives? Surely it would. Today I'm excited to have a couple people with me, people that are very dear. And uh, so I'm going to have Sarah and Thomas come in just a moment to share their stories of how God has used uh, community to transform them. And so, will you welcome Sarah as she comes?
1: Hi, yeah, so my name is Sarah Fletcher. I grew up in a small town not too far outside of Leesburg, Virginia. And uh, I became a Christian at the University of Virginia through Chi Alpha. And it was a radical change in my life. And I'm so grateful to share that story because it was such a transformation that God was working by his spirit from the inside out, but that God's community was helping me to be transformed from the outside in as they loved me and as they cared for me. And so a little bit about, about me. I come from a family that uh, we took a lot of pride in our scientific intellectualism. We're like, oh, my gosh, those spiritual people who believe all sorts of crazy things. We know that that's not real. And, uh, you know, I'd read a little bit about Nietzsche, about Kant, and so I thought I knew a lot of things. And, and I just thought, you know what? We're all just atoms. We're all just cells. What matters? Nothing matters. It's all just survival of the fittest. Morality is, is a joke. It's all just empty. I didn't want to conform to the world, that felt like a bad thing to conform to, but I had nothing else to conform to, and I was being conformed anyway. And then you mix that in with uh, a a family where we had a lot of struggles with alcoholism, with mental health. I had a father who loved me deeply, but he showed love through provision, so he was never home. And I had a mom who struggled with depression and couldn't leave the bed. And all of those things together uh, added up to a high schooler who was pretty depressed If nothing mattered, why why care? I was a high achiever, I got good grades, you know, I I, I liked achieving, but what does it matter what I aim for? What does it matter who I am? What does it matter if I live? I don't know, and it was so empty. So when I got to the university, you know, I I planned on just kind of living it up, doing all the wild, crazy things. Uh, But you, you go and you don't know many people, and how many of you know everybody just wants to be pursued? Right, you want people to care about you. You want people to ask more questions than just "What's your major?" Basically, how can I compete with you? And then there were these Christians, and I knew Christians made good friends because there'd been the high school girls who were really nice and always invited you to youth group, and you'd be like, "No," but they were really nice. So I ended up at this Christian party. Bless those Christian girls, by the way, because they're probably one of the reasons I went to this Christian party. Um, and. They were nice, and they, they just kept showing up at my door. They kept knocking, they kept coming, and I found myself at this thing called a small group, and then we were sharing these things called testimonies, and I'm a creature of conformity, so they're sharing their deep life stories, I share my deep life story, and all of a sudden, they had all my secrets, and I couldn't leave. <laughs> so I start attending this small group, and can I tell you, I was so shocked by what I saw. Because at first, I thought it was just, I mean, they were just so happy. They were so hopeful. They cared about the things that they were pursuing in their studies, not just getting A's. And I thought, okay, well, this is just because they come from happy families, right? I thought the Christians were the ones who had big families. They had like five kids. They'd been homeschooled for half their life. I don't know, I thought that's what it was and that they were all really happy, but how many people in here can say your life has been super, super smooth? Yeah, no hands, thank you. I don't see that hand. Um, What I realized is that they actually had incredibly difficult stories too. They had parents who divorced or siblings who had died to cancer, or they had struggles that they were dealing with, things that were so difficult, but they still had hope. I was like, what is that? How on earth does that happen? And then Pete's a pretty good preacher, and he was talking about God and stuff. And uh, so, you know, I had, this, I had this radical encounter with God a couple weeks later where I said, God, I can't stay here if I can't have hope, too. Because it hurts too much to look at. It hurts too much to feel so empty and see these other people with struggles who have hope. God, if this is real, you're gonna have to tell me or I'll walk. And the Lord met me by His Spirit and He spoke to me in a way that doesn't happen very often for me, but He was like, You can be a part of this family specifically, you are no longer gonna inherit the ways of your family, you're not gonna inherit alcoholism, you're not gonna inherit mental illness, you're not gonna inherit this emptiness, you are gonna inherit joy and peace and self-control and all of these things with your new brothers and sisters because I will be your father now. And so I went on this radical journey of getting to know God and yet, the thing is, okay, how many of you get really annoyed when Olympic athletes are like, here's my workout regimen because you're like, The last time I went running, I got a mile, and then I took the university bus back. Um, (laughs) Pete is a great preacher, but I was like, okay, I mean, but isn't that the pastor? And the way that I grew was the people around me. It was Mary Boyles who would walk down the hall of the dorm to wake me up every morning at 7 a.m. with Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life so I could learn what it was like to be in the Bible daily. It was... uh, Julia Robertson, who, when I used to say things like, Jesus Christ, because we did that in my family, I hope that, like, made your heart feel a little weird, because she came up to me and she said, Sarah, please don't use my God's name in vain. That actually means something to me. Oh, my goodness. Can you bet you don't say that anymore? I didn't know he meant that much to her. Now I just say for Pete's sake. Just kidding. <laughs> um, or uh, it was being at a prayer meeting with April Malpaya and Chibuese Nuewu, And I knew both of them. I was friends with them. And when they started praying in languages that I knew were not their first languages, I was like, what is that? But I knew them. I loved them. And as they started to talk to me about the power of the Holy Spirit, I said, oh, I just didn't know that was a thing. And then I got to grow in that. Uh, when I was diagnosed with a, a pretty serious disease not long after that, I had very little hope and it was my community who came around me and prayed for me and said Sarah God can heal this he might not but he can if we ask and can I tell you that today I nothing that the doctors expected to happen to me has happened I'm healed I'm getting to serve out of that it's incredible so you know I just want to say that that sermons matter coming here matters but what mattered so much more for me was those people who were my friends those people who I was in a small group with. And I'm a pastor now. I work with Kyle Alpha now, but they're engineers, doctors, school counselors. They were not pastors. They were just people who loved me deeply. And I believe that we can be people who look to others and say, how can I pursue that person with deep love, trusting that God can transform their life too? That's what I want to see happen uh, in lives of students at UVA and lives of people here that you know. Thomas?
2: Hey hey, good morning. My name is Thomas Hamilton, like the Broadway show. I uh, am an intern on staff with Kai Alpha. This is my first year working for them. Um, I grew up in a really small town. You've probably never heard of it. It's on the Rappahannock River. It's called Urbana. And oh, okay. So you guys know. You guys know. We just had the oyster festival this past weekend. It Brings about 50,000 people to a town of 500. Um, but raised by my mom and dad growing up, this small town. I have a younger brother, and we'd go to church every Sunday. And this was out of obligation is what it seemed like to me. I, I just could not comprehend, like, who God was and what a relationship with God meant. So I'd just go because my parents wanted to go. They were like, this is important. You should go. So I was like, all right, I'll go. I'll show up. Um, but we got busier, and, you know, as time went on, I went into my adolescent years and started developing opinions, started thinking about things more deeply, and I was very, very easily influenced by my peers. I was more concerned about keeping peace in those relationships, not rocking the boat or anything like that, just steady old Thomas. Uh, so, going into high school, I just really poured into academics, poured into my classes. I achieved some high marks in my classes and was blessed to be put into like a a curriculum that is accelerated called a governor's school. Um, That's just to get me into a good college. And those are great things. And I felt very secure about how this would would just give me such a high-paying job. This would give me credibility, value in the world. And along with that I played football all throughout high school that that was my thing that that's what I love to do and and uh, I even got all conference as a defensive end if you can believe that um, I did all these these things in, in high school these things that I had a lot of joy in but I put a lot of identity into and so I got accepted into the University of Virginia, which was a huge deal for my family. Like, I, no one had gotten into a school like UVA. And I, I was pretty proud about that. I thought, oh, I'm a big deal. I'm going to UVA. And I was going to major in astrophysics, too. I was going to work for NASA. That was my plan. And at, at this point in my life, I didn't have a single thought about faith, about God. Um, in the past, you know, going to church, that was just that was a blip. You know, that, that wasn't me. That isn't what I'm going to do. I could care less about morals or truth. I just lived my life as I desired, made sure I didn't get in the way of anyone. But that first month, it was pretty lonely. I'm not going to lie. I moved into my dorm, you know, all these people are on our hall, um, and they'd interact with each other, and I'd see them walking by, but I just kind of stayed to myself. I'm an introvert by nature anyway. But instead, I joined the club rowing team. I was an athlete, and I wanted to, you know, keep up this regiment, you know. I wanted to stay in shape, join the club rowing team. The other half of that, being on the team, was going out and partying a lot. And so that's what I got involved with. That was my community in college, but none of it satisfied me for long. But boy, was I stubborn about admitting that. I, I didn't want anyone to know how lost I felt. And I didn't want myself to know. I, I was so invested in this, this dream of a trajectory uh, that any weakness in that dream, any weakness in that plan, showed weakness in me. It showed shame and it showed insignificance. And I had never encountered that before. I always did everything right. Everything always turned out right. So, I had met someone before moving in, actually, on Facebook And then I found him on campus, and he said, oh, you should come to this thing. It's a Monday night service with this organization called Chi Alpha. I was like, well, that sounds like a frat, so I guess I'll go to that. Uh, (laughs) I figured, why not? I've got nothing else to lose. I just wanted to meet some people. I wanted to feel connected. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be pursued. And by the end of my first year in college, I was reading my Bible. I was going to a Bible study every week and I knew that I was loved by Jesus. So, what the heck happened in between there? How did I get from, from astrophysics to being loved by Jesus? That first MNL service, I was sitting there, and, you know, I was just kind of stiff, and they started playing the music, and I have a couple tears running down my eye. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is powerful. My hand starts coming up like this. I'm like, I got I to gotta chase after this. So, student leaders, they pursued me, I was invited to their homes. I was asked what I thought about things, and I was with other guys that had the same questions. It was almost strange how nice everyone was and how little pressure there was to conform. I I was just invited to join, to come and see what they were doing. So going into that second year uh, of college, here I am. I know Jesus loves me, but I don't know how to live that out quite yet. I still got a lot of things to work on, so I'm still in a core group. My leader, his name is Gavin, started texting me that summer, started connecting with me early on, and even before the school year started, and we met weekly. We shared meals together. We went hiking together. We traveled around Charlottesville together. He was like my big brother. And I remember one day, I was sitting across from him, and Gavin has these really fuzzy eyebrows. And so whenever I'd mention something, whenever I'd mention I was stressed or something, his eyebrows would go up, and he'd think about something, and he'd flip in his Bible. And so we flipped to Mark two twenty-one, where Jesus says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Gavin saw right through me. He saw that I was using patchwork, Jesus' patchwork in my life. He challenged me. I had never been challenged like that before, but Gavin desired the best for me. And I received that love and accountability because Gavin received the same from his leader and he the same and so on and so on. And there's this generational community that has been developed at Chi Alpha and here I am benefiting from that. Here I am. I get to know who Jesus is through Gavin knowing, through other people. And so, yeah, I invested. I, I started leading a core group myself my third and fourth year. And boy, was it hard, but boy, was it good. I met with guys one-on-one. I mourned and rejoiced with them alike. And I just, my eyes were open to God's transformative power in the, in the lives of young men. And I, I learned that He doesn't want us to, to serve Him out of our own power. He wants us to serve Him out of His power, out of the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was through prayer that, that I was equipped and empowered by His Spirit and received that, that tool belt, that, that ministerial tool belt, I, I guess. And I just saw how he had used my temperament and my personality just to witness to other men. And accompanied with that, accompanied with an open Bible, I'm like, all right, this is worth doing. So I guess I'll do ministry. Um, But truly, I would not have it any other way. And I'm still growing. That's the best part about it. Uh, I'm still getting closer to him, being more like Jesus. And it's together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Thank you.
0: As we wrap this up, I just want to remind you of the truth that we are transformed in community. That maybe you'll be someone's Gavin or someone's Julia, or maybe. They will be your Julia or your Gavin. Because God often works in our lives by working through his people. You know, when Paul was saying this about this is a a community thing, he wasn't just talking about people who had come together and had the same interest in music and so they would come to the same place because they liked the music so well. Though I appreciate the music here. Or because there's this one guy who showed up, they really liked his preaching. And so, so they, you know, and I'm sure Pastor Greg's a really good preacher. And so, um, but he was speaking about something deeper and thicker and richer than that. But people who would like live out this journey deeply together that would rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, who are seeking to become more in the image of Christ and walk out the way of the cross. And we're trying to push against and resist the, the formative, the conforming nature of the world who are wanting to be the people of the kingdom and they would just link arms and walk together for God's glory in their city. So I just want to close with two questions as we close. Will you take formation in God's kingdom, which is counterformation to the world? I mean, you're we have to have counterformation, not just formation, right? Will you take it seriously? Because if you don't. You and I, we will look just like the world. And yet, we're to be God's alternative to the world. And then secondly, will you embrace that Christianity is not a solo sport? And allow your story to be impacted by Christian community. Being devoted to one another in love. Being transformed together by the renewing of your mind. I'd like to close us in prayer. Lord, I thank you that you came to save us out of the brokenness of this present evil age defined by things that are hostile to your intent for our lives your will but you place us in your kingdom you fill us with your spirit you you make us a part of your family so we can walk in the plans and purposes you have for us that lead us right into eternity with you so Lord I pray for each of us here that you would help us to Be mindful of how the culture that we live in in the micro and the culture or in the macro and the culture in the micro of the area we live in is trying to form us. And by your grace and your Spirit's power, Lord, would you help us to be transformed instead into the image of Jesus and into the way of the cross. And Lord, I pray that if we could see the the networking map of this church, that it would be really thick with lots of deep connections and you would show us what our next step is, each of us, to to push further in to a community that's in it together, spurring each other on that together would be transformed more into the image of your son. For your glory, our city's good, and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
3: Amen. Amen. No amen. Hey, what a powerful ministry. What powerful stories. Can we give it up for them really quick? Man. And church, would you stand to your feet with me? Here's what I want to do uh, as we close, as, as you stand to your feet. Uh, we want to pray for Chi Alpha. We want to pray for you guys. We believe in everything that you're doing. Uh, we know God's got his hand on each and every one of your lives, your ministry, the people that you're, you're touching. Uh, so church, would you just extend your hands uh, in this moment as we pray? Jesus, Lord, we pray for Chi Alpha. God, we pray for the students at UVA. God, the ones that know you, the ones that don't know you yet. God, we just pray, Lord, that your hand is on this community, that your hand is on uh, this ministry. God, that your hand is on this community. Father, I pray, Lord, that we could take stories like this, uh, Lord, and apply it directly to our lives. But God, we just pray uh, for a boldness in this community. We pray for, uh, Lord, an awakening in this community uh, at UVA, God, in Chi Alpha across the nation Jesus, we know that your hand is on their lives, God, but we pray for an extra blessing, Lord, a double portion of your anointing on each and every single one of their lives. Father, we as a church, we, we back them, God, but we know that our backing is nothing if, 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 if you don't back them as well. So, Jesus, we pray for your backing. God, we pray for uh, the value that they find, Lord, to come from you and you alone, not in the things that they do, but because they are children of God. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. You are are dismissed. Go find them out in the lobby. They're going to be hanging out for a little bit, Uh, but have a blessed week in Jesus' name.